We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. So the LA Rams will be the number two seed. They finish 13 and 3, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. This don't have you. Yeah. It's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man gonna dominate. Boys, Offense, defense, special teams. Let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Hey, 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 welcome to Ramsock Radio. This is Derek C. Paul, my co-host, my partners in crime, former Los Angeles Rams defensive back Michael Stewart, and Steve Goldstein. We are back for, yes, I can't believe it, a midweek podcast. And not only a midweek podcast, but a special one indeed. Now, let me, let me clarify in the interview, but now, Rams Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce will be with us momentarily. And it is a wide-ranging conversation. I mean, seriously, it's like you're a bunch of ADHD kids in this thing, just going from place to place with no real direction. But that's okay, because we got a lot of good stuff out of it, and it was well worth the nearly. It was, I mean, he spent about 45, 50 minutes with us just talking. And also make sure you check out his new podcast, as we'll talk about as well. So first things first, Mike, how you doing? Man, I'm doing well, man. Doing well, man. And just uh, excited to be talking with Isaac Bruce and all that good stuff. And man, good to see you guys and hear your voices again in a short few days. I know, right? It's, it's back. It's like almost like we're back getting, well, getting back to normal. Back in the groove. Back in the groove. Steve, what about you? How you doing? Are you on mute, Steve? I'm here now. I've been here the whole time. I've basically been talking to myself. And I'll tell you, it was a good conversation. But uh, yeah, excited to talk to Isaac as well and, and, and kind of get his feelings, uh, uh, you know, what's been happening uh, and what happened during his 
career with the Rams and, and his, uh, obviously the election to the hall of fame and kind of having to wait on that to actually put on slip on the jacket, but excited to talk to Isaac and talk football, Rams football. Well, it's, it's a good thing that we can actually start talking football again in, as the country goes a little crazy with COVID and everything to get some memories back in of some better days in terms of Rams Super Bowls and just watching his career. And again, this is our first interview with him since he got elected. And by the way, we've been our Rams talk has been advocating for him for a long time. And uh, I just remember the last time we had him on the show asking the tough questions and, and him being a little fired up about it later on, especially talking to him. Just, and he should have been. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that we see somebody on social media kind of poo-poo him being elected right away. Like, okay, I think he's a Hall of Famer, but it shouldn't happen now for this reason, this reason, this reason. We played this many years, and he didn't really do anything until a great show on turf. Well, that's not true, right? We all saw what he did when healthy, 1995 especially. And if you, if you were able to really kind of get a gauge of his career, this man was a Hall of Famer. I mean, quite frankly, if he, the team didn't suck for four or five years, we might be talking not just a Hall of Famer, but one of the best all time. Yeah, you have to remember who his quarterbacks were before Kurt Warner, right? What, so you really? They, they, not, not exactly a Hall of Fame uh, list of quarterbacks. Um, so, I mean, you're right. That's a great point. I think he would have, his, his stats would have been even, even that much better. And uh, Mike, Wait, I know you, you say, I said TJ Rubley. <laughs> Oh, yeah. T- Chris Miller, DJ Rubley. I mean, well, Miller was okay. Uh, just couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, t- Tony Banks. Yeah. Uh, the list goes yeah. the, 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 the list goes on and on. I mean, they were serviceable NFL quarterbacks. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, they... I mean, can you imagine um, if... And Jerry Rice is, in my mind, the greatest wide receiver of all time. But can you imagine if Jerry Rice didn't have Joe Montana and Steve Young, what his stats would have looked like? I mean, if he had TJ Rubley, you know, so it, it, they go, those things go hand in hand. But, but that's, that's an excellent point. Before Kurt Warner, he, he, uh, he, had, a, he had four or five years of, of very mediocre quarterback play. So let's go get an interview, guys. And, and right with folks, just, just sit back, relax. Here we go, Isaac Bruce. All right, folks, we're here with Isaac Bruce, and it's a it's a big show for us today having him back on the show. And now his first time back as a about to be because he's going to be enshrined very soon. Hall of Famer Isaac, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing good, man. Um, I think you can go ahead and uh, call me the Hall of Famer, man. Uh, I, I did ask if I had to give anything back. They said no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that is what I was concerned, and I didn't know the right decor for that. Like, do I? So, in, in our view, you're a Hall of Famer, but until you know, I don't know if it's until they put the jacket on, or if you know, you give the speech. What we what we say here? Because it's it's August fifth. I think you would have been enshrined is it, if it's, it would be this weekend or it's last weekend. You would have been enshrined, right? Uh, it would have been this weekend. And the funny thing, I had the same questions that you had, but um. They say once you once once that you get the knock on the door, it's you know it's 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 what it is. It's forever. So, um, yeah, it would have been this weekend. Uh, um, thank God that it wasn't because I didn't have anything written. And um, you know, <laughs> just what it is. So, and by the way, I just want to remind my listeners when last time you were on our show. I mean, I asked, I asked, I asked the tough question, and I remember getting a text later on saying, "Tell him, you know, thousand yard seasons, this, this, and this." And I was like, "Oh man, Isaac, don't think that we didn't, we didn't think you should be the Hall of Fame. We, we've been advocating for you to be in for a while now, so we want, to, we want to say our congratulations. It means the world to Rams fans who watched you play that you finally got the call. So congratulations, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man." Thank you. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of ironic that it happened in in, in this year where, where you have to wait another year because you had to wait in my mind anyways. I can only speak for myself. It was long, long overdue, and and the fact that you have to wait now is uh, to actually uh, get the 
jacket slipped on is is kind of a bit bit ironic but um but yeah congratulations from all of us and congratulations from the melon heads by the way uh i i am i am uh an honor honorary member of the melon heads and 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 did it a few times those guys but lance goldberg uh uh says hi and and uh he always appreciated the the shout outs uh the public shout outs uh when you when you were asked about it so just wanted to slip that one in before we started so those guys have been there for a while i mean how do you become an honorary <laughs> well, I I, I, I am here. In, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll describe it like this. You know how the Temptations, the, you had the original Temptations, and then over the years, Absolutely. you kind of had you had a guys kind of get get in on 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 the uh, on the in the, on the bands. So that's that's kind of where I kind of came in a little bit later. Um, so, uh, but uh, Lance is the original, and 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 uh, he he said give give. Isaac, a shout out and uh, say say hi to him for me because he he always really appreciated all you guys back in the in Anaheim. I know you were only there for what two years in Anaheim, one or two years. Uh, but uh, he, always, he always he always yeah he always appreciated it and uh, and even when we went to we showed up in St. Louis a couple times. That's kind of when I I I kind of joined the band as you, if you will and and uh, so uh, he just wanted to say say hi and uh, and appreciate the. Appreciate the love. So I think one of the cool things here is, you know, with our podcast is that we, we generally love to talk with the veterans and we actually have one here, Michael Stewart. And I know Mike's been chomping the bit as well to ask some questions concerning he, he's, he's walked out the doors. You're coming in. So Mike, what do you want? What do you want to talk to Isaac about? What do you want to ask him? I be mean, first of all, man, congratulations for just one, just being an outstanding dude, man. He's just an outstanding young man in my view, but uh a younger man. Uh man, congratulations on all the accolades they've been earned from going all the way back to your Fort Lauderdale day. So, man, I just gonna jump in there real quick, man, and say you're quite welcome, man. Well deserved and uh overdue. So, man, glad that uh they finally woke up and got you in there, and now you in there, and shoot, man, we're going to get you to navigate, maybe helping us get Harold Jackson in. But anyway, another story. <laughs> this is about you today. This is about you. Quick question, Henry Ellen. I got I to gotta ask you, how did you go and wear the white, the, the red and whatever they are up at those Niner guys? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, you know it's 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 funny, man. Um, I didn't want to do it. Um, you know, I I was uh in the mode of the mindset that I could still play. Um, uh, I had it. I I needed a job. Um, uh, things fell through with the Houston Texans, uh-huh. and uh, it's funny because Mike Martz, who had been a a uh, big part of my career. He ended up being the offensive coordinator with the 49ers. That's and, right. You know, he he started advocating, jumping on the table, and and um, uh, they offered me more money, and I said, okay, I, I'll go there for a couple of years. But it was strange, man. Just you know, it's you know, my first preseason game, we're playing the Raiders, and it's funny because I'm I'm used to sitting on the visitor side of the Coliseum. And looking over at the Raiders, you know, and, you know, seeing what they do, I'm looking, I'm used to seeing the black hole and, you know, the fans going nuts and just being obnoxious. But then when I looked down at my pants, I saw, I didn't see my colors. You know, I saw my, <laughs> my, my jersey. And I'm like, yo, man, this something's wrong. Something's going on here, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was right then at that moment that, you know, I realized that, man, I'm, you know, sleeping with the enemy now. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's just kind of the way it went. But, you know, I, I did it for two years, and I don't tell many people about it. You know, they, they have to go search the archives for themselves, man, just to see, uh, see if it was true. Well, man, it's interesting because, you know, obviously that was a big rival. Man, to this day, I still, you know, but they used to whoop on us. But you guys kind of got them back for me, so thank you very much for that. Uh, yeah. So it's just interesting because, you know, to your point, you know, Leading into my next question, my last year was 93. You came in as a rookie in 94 the next year. Obviously, I was 
then with the Dolphins. So, you know, I'm figuring, man, I, you know, thought I would kind of finish out with the Rams. I had gotten seven years in. So tell me a little bit, because you were absolutely there the last year Rams played in Anaheim, your rookie year, yeah. and then played with a lot of my former teammates, you know, Q, even Daryl Henley and yeah. John yeah. Gilbert. Flip was still there, JB, and, you know, all you guys. So maybe tell us a little bit about your rookie year in in Anaheim transitioning to your next year out in St. Louis. What was that like? Well, uh, be truthful, man. I, I was so excited to be back in Los Angeles because, you know, I did two two years of junior college in Los Angeles. I went to West Los, right. Los Angeles College and then, and then I went to Santa Monica City College. So to be there, uh, I experienced the riot. Uh, to be in Los Angeles in that area as a broke student and then to get drafted back to the Los Angeles Rams, uh, man, I was super excited, man. I mean, it, it, it's funny because two years prior, you know, I saw you guys scrimmaging uh, the San Diego Chargers um, one summer, and, and, and it's funny. And I'm sitting there as a sophomore in college, and, you know, I'm watching the Rams and the Chargers, you know, in, in a scrimmage. And I see all you guys out there. I see Flipper. I see uh, Henry Elliott. I see all that is happening. Jim Elliott, quarterback. And then two years later, I'm a part of that organization. Man, it was funny, man. I mean, I, I love Los Angeles uh, for everything it provided, from weather to uh, opportunities. Um, but when the change came, you know, we started hearing rumors about the team leaving uh, that spring. And from from that time on, you know, we started really focusing and putting our mindset on going to, you know, uh, Missouri. And from there, you know, we started looking for places. And, you know, the first thing that you notice is that Los Angeles weather and St. Louis weather is two totally different things. <laughs> um, you, you got training camp at UC Irvine where it was probably right. 75, 75 degrees is a hot day. And, yeah, yeah. You know, in, in those mornings, you're you're looking to wear some sleeves because it's cold. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. But in in St. Louis, no sir. From the moment you step outside, you're in smoldering heat, and you you really get the true meaning of NFL training camp. So I always say my first year in the NFL really started in St. Louis because I mean, just that training camp, being able not to breathe as you as you want to breathe, and just trying to make a football team. So it, it was a stark difference between the two cities, man. But, you know, we're Ram family nonetheless. And, uh, you know, just, just, having, just having those guys around, those guys that you mentioned around, kind of made it a whole lot better for me. When you're talking about that transition to St. Louis, how much did it affect that last year in Los Angeles for you? Um, it affected from a standpoint of, uh, just, let's just be honest, because from that standpoint, I think, the relationship between fans and the organization was, I'll say, broken because, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't draw that, that big a crowd that, that last season. Uh, certain games, uh, obviously, when, when the Broncos came to town, uh, when John Elway, uh, 49ers came down, uh, that year we played the Raiders, and, and those were probably the only three sellouts that we saw that year uh, with, with the fans heavily towards the visiting team. So uh, having an opportunity when we went to St. Louis, man, you're talking about the first five seasons, man. I mean, we, we had PSLs, we had, we had sellouts, uh, guaranteed sellouts, and uh, we, we initially started winning a little bit. So that combination of the two, man, it, I mean, it really opened my eyes to what the NFL could be as far as having a home field advantage. I, yeah, Steve, you're being mellow. I know that probably tinges you a little bit. What were your thoughts on the, the changes and, and uh, the description with, you know, concerning Isaac played through it? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was a, a, a season ticket holder uh, in Anaheim. And then when you guys, uh, when the team left to St. Louis, it was, it, it, was, it was pretty difficult. But could you describe for us the turnaround? from 94 i mean from 98 to 99 because 
you know, you, you had those years, at the, the original, um, when Dick Vermeil came in, you had those years, they were n- not, not the best. I think you were 4-12 and 12 in 98, and yeah. then 90, 99 season comes, Mike Martz gets uh, hired, and Trent Green comes in to play quarterback. But in your, in your mind, what was the biggest turnaround? What, what was the biggest, other than the obvious, Mike Martz being as the offensive coordinator, what was the, the biggest difference between 98 and then all of a sudden that run from 99 to 2003? Well, you know what? It, it's not mentioned a lot, but I think, you know, you know Michael, he can probably back me up on this. When there's a coaching change, there's always uh, an attempt or it's either, it's either done casually or with, a, with an iron fist of a culture change. And part of that culture is, is, is the way that players and everyone around the organization speak. And we had a coach by the name of Frank Gann, special teams coach. Now, in 1998, we, we weren't we were a very good team. Um, you know, guys were trying to get paid. Guys were, had their mindsets other places. Guys wanted to play. Guys didn't want to play, didn't want to be with the organization. Uh, the stability of the organization wasn't where it should be. And I would say that shining light within that whole thing, especially in 1998, was Frank Gans, man. He, 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 he held the, the special teams unit to a standard, such a standard that guys like myself who didn't have anything to do with special teams would go to those meetings to be coached up or to watch him coach mm. other people. And, you know, he, he taught us a different language as far as not speaking the language of a loser, but speaking the language of a winner within those meetings. And I really, really believe that those were the very seeds that were sown to catapult us into 1999. So that put us in a position to draft the story hope, to, to bring in Trent Green, to bring in Marshall Falk, to bring in Adam Zimmerman, guys who had experience uh, playing post uh, playing postseason games to come into what we had going, and from there, man, we just took off. So true, uh, Isaac. I mean, I'm jumping there, Derek, but, man, so true. You know, I was thinking about, you know, your transition from, from uh, Anaheim to St. Louis, you know, because you also had a coaching change as well. Not to go back too far, but what was it like playing for, you know, Chuck Knox one year and then Rich Brooks the next? And then, you know, obviously you had different offensive, defensive coordinators. What was that transition like again heading into your second season? Well, well, being, being in Los Angeles, like I described, uh, being back in Los Angeles, being a 21-year-old, uh, I had a contract. So I had some money now. I had a truck. I could get around. <laughs> Micah, I didn't want to leave Los Angeles. I didn't want to go to St. Louis, you know. Um, and, you know, it, it's funny because uh, guys like Fred Stokes, guys <laughs> like Jackie Slater, uh, these guys were trying to warn us young guys, listen, we have to do a better job of practicing and playing in games because if not, we're going to get a college coach in here going to get fired, and you're really going to get introduced to the National Football League. So that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, Chuck, I love I I loved Chuck. He was cool. He was calm. Um, I, 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 he was ground Chuck. Uh, that yeah. means he wanted to run the ball. Go run um, the ball, for sure. receiver, Yeah, absolutely. For a receiver like myself, I, I don't think that really bode well, but, um, you know, and it was just as those guys predicted, man. He got fired, and from there we we went out and got a, a coach from Oregon, Rich Brooks. And uh, man, I'm talking about his job was to either uh, uh, galvanize the guys by running them, running off the ones that didn't want to be there, the ones he didn't think wanted to be there, and he did that job. I mean, uh, from a, from a standpoint of man, I mean, the practices were like they were brutal. They they took everybody back to the college days, man. There was no more pro gliding, none of that stuff existed while he was there. So, and initially it started off pretty good. But, you know, from a standpoint of just being in the front office, man, I don't think we just had it 
where, where it should have been and, and it, it, the consistency of it just wasn't there. When you're looking at the course of your career, though, you know when you finally got the consistency, that had to have taken some patience. There, there are many players who who want to win and contribute and struggle through the team aspect of you know going four and twelve, five and eleven. What was a main source of perseverance for you throughout your career? I mean, you played like seventeen years, man. I mean, you were you were in the game for a long time, and that takes a certain level of determination. What was it for you? Well, for me personally, man, um, you know, my mindset has always been, um, you know, when I got drafted to the Rams in 1994, for that entire decade of nine, of the 90s, it was either going to be the Los Angeles Rams, St. Louis Rams, or the Cincinnati Bengals who won the crown for the worst organization of the mm-hmm. 90s, so, or the losing organization. So I, I felt like when, when teams like Cincinnati, teams like Los Angeles at that time, drafted players, you were drafted there to be the change, not to, not to just bring change, but to actually be the change that would get the organization over the hump. So I kept that mindset, man, and I felt like that, you know, myself, guys who got drafted with me, the Wayne Gandy, uh, the Keith Lyles, we were there, the Toby Wrights, we were there for a reason to be the actual change. So we're, we're not to be um, conformed to what was happening, but just to be that change and and, and that's the mentality I kept. I always wanted to be a winner. I wanted to be a Super Bowl champion. I wanted to go to Pro Bowls, and I wanted to be considered one of the best at my position. So that, that was, those are the mindsets that I carried in, and I just kept with me my entire career. You know, you, you bring up the uh, you getting drafted, and, and uh, you were out here in L.A. And you went to college here for a little bit before you went to Memphis. But what was draft day like for you? Did you... Uh, did, did you have any indication that the Rams were going to draft you? Were there other teams that were kind of hot on your trail? Uh, you, were, you were picked in the second round. Did you, you think, did, you, were, did you think you were going to go in the first round? Did you think you were going to go later? How, how was draft day for you? Uh, it's funny, man. I, I had an interesting draft day. Um, I, mine uh, was, was really the proving ground. Uh, I went to Memphis, so Memphis was a basketball school at the time. And we had basketball greats. And, Football was it was kind of an afterthought at that time, but you know I'm a Florida guy, and um, you know my confidence level as far as football was through the roof, and I just didn't believe anybody was better than me, and uh, that's the way you know that's the way we're breeded down on this level as far as football is concerned, and uh, just going to the combine, seeing the guys I was up against, uh, the Charles Johnsons of the world, um, guys like Darnay Scott, uh, Derek Alexander mm-hmm. out of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys went to bigger programs. They were on television a lot. But at the same time, I just didn't feel like we could do or offer a team what I had to offer as far as my ability to run routes, my ability to separate, and my ability to take the top off the defense. So in 1994, just, just watching the draft, um, I, I had an inclination that uh, a receiver, the receivers were going to start coming off the board at around 17. So. That's just where I put my mind. I was going to be the 17th pick going to Pittsburgh, and I was going to turn that organization from a running organization to a passing organization with me. But it mm-hmm. uh, didn't happen that way. And it's funny because uh, Bill Cowher, you know, he's in this, two, this, this 2020 class of Hall of Flames. We had that discussion, and they were looking for a receiver at the time, and they ended up taking Charles Johnson. And after another five receivers that were taken off the board, one being an underclassman, Thomas Lewis, out of Indiana, uh, there I was right there at number 33, and the Rams grabbed me. And uh, you know what? I just made it my business that I, I was going to outlast these guys, outdeal these guys, be more productive, and make every team that passed on me pay. And, th- and that was my objective. And you did that. Get, you're in the Indeed. Hall of Fame, and all, and all those other guys you just mentioned, uh, you know, they, they, there were some good receivers in that draft. But uh, obviously, you know, you, you ended up in the Hall of Fame. so. Mike? Yeah, those guys, those guys are good. IB, you know, man, thanks for, for, for some of that feedback and letting people know uh, what the folks down in Florida, how they ball. You know, being from California, <laughs> and uh, no, I'm serious. You know, when I went to Miami, yeah. and my question is going to be, when I went to Miami, 
they would have this combine in the spring and all these athletes and I thought it was college players at first. They go, nah, Snoo, that's that's guys from high school. I'm like, really? But uh the thing <laughs> I noticed having coached uh good shout out to for the JCs. I went to JC Beckerfield College, but I coached at Ventura Absolutely. College uh a couple years as well. And now as a high school coach, let the people in on what it's like, because for me, it is a stark difference from players that come out of Florida and the guys that I play with, uh, you know, in Florida and just watching Florida players. What's it like for a guy uh, from Florida, Dillard High, and, you know, question also, how, how did St. Thomas Aquinas, I know they was probably after you, how they didn't get you, but anyway, uh, Dillard High What's it like? Why is the mentality of a Florida player like, man, I am going out here to get it? Well, hey, great question, man. And I think and I can answer it this way. It's very similar to when you think of maybe high school basketball, you may think of Indiana, you may think of New York City. And that's just the way it is. You, you expect guys from that region of the country to be great basketball players. They can handle the fundamentals. Uh, you know, they can, you know, they can jump. They can do a lot of, a lot of different stuff on the basketball court. And for Florida, I feel like it's football, and it has been that way for a while. Um, I, I think Florida football, Florida high school football, the target is that, you know, with the weather, we have an opportunity to do it all year round. There are other options, but we, we approach the game of football like, it, like there are no options. Like, uh, as far as high school basketball, I can't really remember a, a phenom uh, during, my, during my era, during my time coming out of high school as far as basketball is concerned. But I can give you name after name of guys who didn't make it as far as high school football who were a lot better than me, who were faster than me, who were stronger, more explosive than me. And it all happened in high school football in South Florida. Uh, I think it's proven from the fact that every college program, including those uh, uh, junior colleges in California, when, when they start recruiting and want to build a program, you have to go to Florida. You have to go to Florida to get your athletes and your confidence because the confidence comes with those guys. Because I've seen guys that are, that, are, that are small. I was a smaller guy. that They just believe they can run through a wall. And – it's from I think it's from the the upbringing our approach to the to the game we we play it like we have no other options and, and it's funny because I'm currently watching the, the the current episodes of Last Chance You and I I think that is groundbreaking because I live that life that those guys are living and I get to see uh, everything I went through these guys are going through but then then I see the 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 I can tell the guys that are from Florida. And the guys that are from California, yeah, it's, it's just different because uh, uh, ankle sprain to us means that we'll we'll be in the next snap. And hmm. sometimes the ankle sprain for the California guys is means listen, I'm gonna go surfing for a couple of weeks, and I see you guys <laughs> back once I'm healed. So so that that's just the approach, and it, and it always makes me laugh, man, because I'm currently watching it right now, and I see like the number one quarterback. He's about six three. Uh, he's ripped. He's athletic. He's from California, and I'm and I'm just looking at this guy. I'm like, I would I would tear him a new, I would tear right. him a new one because right. it's it's so it's so it's so uh, they fair to him. His attitude is, and I'm thinking, man, I would eat this guy. I would have two lunches that day, his and mine, and that's just the way, <laughs> just just my approach, and that's just how I see California football, high school football versus Florida football. It's just different. Yeah, man, I love it because <clears throat> there truly is, and it's it's funny again. Like I said, coaching high school, and you know, I got a number of guys that trying to come out there to go to camps and things like that. And I go, well, why do you guys want to go all the way across the country? Well, well coach, man, I want to I want to go against the best. I said, well, you guys better understand what you guys think is the best. It's going to be a lot different, so you better get your mind right if you're going out there. Right. And so, real quick question: uh, Did you play with Calvin Jackson? I played with Calvin Jackson from high school. I mean, he played, he was a he was a yeah. uh, let's see, I think a sophomore while I was a senior. 
Right. And, yeah, right. he was part of that D5, that D5 that went to Auburn, man. Yeah, I believe right. it was Calvin Jackson. Yeah, yeah. small world. Just, uh, so, yeah. Uh, an interesting question, because I have both, you know, with, with you, Isaac, and Mike on here, and on our show, Mike and I, we've we've talked a lot over the course of the last couple of years about the relationship the Rams have had with former players. Sometimes it's not gone so well. Sometimes, you know, some, you know, sometimes they've been, I will say, in the past, a bit cheap. And I know there was a big kind of hubbub among. LA Rams veterans about how some of the history kind of got lost when the team moved to St. Louis in terms of keeping tabs with the players. What is your relationship now like with the Rams? How how good are you with them in terms of appearances, relationship overall, the front office, and so on and so forth? Well, that's a great question, man. And uh, I always like standing up for my brothers, the brotherhood of it. Uh, uh, football is a fraternity, but inside that fraternity, you have these 30 teams. Uh, 32 teams, and first and foremost, I always feel like I'm a Ram first, and then then I played in the NFL. You know, that's just the way it goes. I mean, there's there's a inherent hate for the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, it's it's just what it is. So, um, as far as the treatment, um, it, it's come up a couple of times, and I think it should, you know, stay on the on the mind of of a lot of people because there are some things that could be done a whole lot better than than uh, the way it has been. Uh, when you look at other organizations and the brotherhood that they have, you know, the Cowboys, which is our first opponent this year, you have the, the team in Washington, how they treat their alumni. I mean, it's, 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 it's strong. And I think there are models out there that uh, the, the Rams can follow or imitate and do a much better job than what's been done, man. Because, you know, number one, we feel like we are football fans. Not only that, we were drafted by the organization that we were drafted by. So, therefore, we're bonded. The two, the two are bonded, and there should be uh, – you should take care of the players that you drafted. You should take care of those players that went out, bled for you, sweated for you, and uh, did a lot of stuff for you. So, if, if that means having – a strong alumni weekend, if that means having, uh, getting, getting the guy's jackets, T-shirts, or a ring, or whatever that may be, let's do it. Spend some money, because it, it only bodes well for the organization. Uh, when it's playoff time, invite everybody. Everybody gets an invite. There, 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 there are places like Pittsburgh Steelers, I've heard guys talking where if you're, if you're close within that radius of Pittsburgh and it's a playoff game or a home game, just a regular season game, you're invited. They have a suite for these guys. I mean, they just make it comfortable for them because these guys bled and sweat, sweated for this, this organization. So it shouldn't be any different with uh, a, a team like the Los Angeles Rams because we were, we were the first in a lot of things. We were the first to put a decal on the helmet. Mm -hmm. We were the first organization to have an African-American player signed to our organization. So we should really pump those things up and take care of those things, not only the, not only the ones that are in Canton for you, but those ones that help those guys get the cannon for you. And that's just the way it should be. Yeah, I uh, agreed 100%. They, and, and maybe, you know, some people, will, it'll change a little bit now. Going to a new stadium and, and um, you know, I'm not going to make any excuses for the, for the organization, but they were in L.A. and then they were in St. Louis, and now they're back in L.A. Uh, but maybe now with a new stadium, uh, things like that will, will, will happen. But I would be remiss if I didn't ask the uh, question. We were, you were talking about the hated 49ers and everybody from the – all 49er fans think of the catch as Dwight Clark in the corner in the end zone. But for Rams fans, the catch is you and the 80-yarder from Kurt Warner to win the Super Bowl. Can you describe that play, like what went into the play, what, how the play was called, what was discussed in the huddle? and? and what you were feeling as you were going through that, that play? Well, I, you know, I always describe that play as, um, um, you know, um, a, a dream play. I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty – I think it's iconic from a standpoint of anyone that's ever wanted to play football. When you, when you imagine playing football, you, you may imagine yourself as the quarterback or the running back 
But but somewhere down the line, you imagine yourself as being the wide receiver in the biggest game, catching the biggest pass in, at crunch time. So, you know, I was no different. Uh, I I had that play play over in my mind thousands of times growing up here in South Florida. But the quarterback was always always Dan Marino throwing it to me for a touchdown. <laughs> um, and just just to have that moment in the Super Bowl, man. It, I mean, it, it was just amazing. It was so real, and you know. It's in the Super Bowl. Uh, the Titans tied the game 16-16. And it, we're, it, it looks as if we're headed to either a game-winning field goal or we're, we're going to play the first overtime in Super Bowl history. So, I mean, the, the, the setting of it was just perfect. And just to have a play call where we normally have four wide receivers in the game, uh, have, have Marshall Falk in the backfield, and we run everybody off and just try to dump it down to Marshall to get to the two-minute warning, and then we go on attack mode. That that was the plan. But it's amazing how when I heard the play, knowing how we ran that play in the future and what was supposed to happen, I just had an idea that the ball was coming to me at that at that time, and and it was perfect. We got we got man across the board. Uh, they showed two, went down, dropped the robber in the middle of the field. I know Stewart knows exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And once we got in the middle, once they got in the middle of the field, it was one on one on the outside, man. And it was pretty much a, a a jump ball situation. And I did everything I I could to make sure, you know, I didn't I didn't have any blinkers on. I didn't I didn't my eyes didn't get wide. I didn't use my hands uh, just to try to make sure the defensive back didn't know what was happening. And my by the hands, time that ball you know? got in my hands, man, yeah, it just got it's got slow motion, and uh, uh, it's funny because I, I always think of uh, the great Marcus Allen, his run in the Super Bowl, of how everything he says that everything just slowed down, and it, it was the exact same thing for me. Everything slowed down. I, I see uh, the fans, I see Rams fans cheering, I see Titans fans with the surrender Cobra, I see Oz making a block for me. And then I see a person on the jumbotron playing football, running down the field. All of that happened in slow motion. And by the time I woke up, you know, I'm celebrating with my guys in the end zone, and and we we have a lead in the Super Bowl. So it, it was a moment that was so real to me that it was hard for me to celebrate because you know I had did it so many times. Yeah, I was actually at the game. So I was sitting uh, about the 20-yard line on the other side of the field, behind your bench, but on the other side of the field where Mike Jones made the eventual the tackle, as we call it. But for me, when I saw you catch the ball, my biggest concern at that point was Oz not blocking that guy in the back because he was running down there in front of you, and I was thinking— Oz, don't touch that guy. Don't touch that guy because he had his back, right? And I was, and he, he, yeah. he kind of like did a little, he shielded him a little bit. He used his hands a little bit, but he, uh, he, he obviously they didn't throw the flag on him. And, and man, when you got in the end zone, I was just, I, I, I have chills to this, you know, being in that stadium, um, uh, chills to this day, just talking about it. And I actually have a lithograph of you guys, of Kurt throwing the ball. And Kurt was getting hit by J- Javon Curse, right, at the time. And right. uh, I, ha- I have the, the lithograph of, of you catching a ball on the other end. And uh, it's, just, it's just, uh, just a great moment in Rams history. I, I mean, I think for most Rams fans, um, I mean, winning, winning the Super Bowl obviously is the, 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 the ultimate. And, uh, and that catch, and the catch and the tackle were two of the biggest plays of all time. Yeah. Shout out to the rest for swallowing the whistle at that moment. Man. <laughs> you know, yeah. sort, sort of like they do in the NBA. You know, the last two right. minutes, man, just let the guys play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you would have yeah. scored. You would you would have scored uh, regardless of you know you scored. So, man, real quick, Ivy, uh, man, you obviously you know you mentioned Dan Moreno. You know, I got a chance to play with that guy. So, man, all legit. He's all of everything that they say, and so. And, you know, I haven't played against, you know, Joe Montana many years. Obviously, you got to play with one of the greats in Kurt Warner. Man, tell the people what it's like when you're on an offense with yourself, Torrey, Kurt, you know, Marshall Falk, uh, big old Orlando Pay. You know what I mean? Tell the people what it's like just 
from a practice standpoint, you talked earlier about confidence coming out of Florida. What's it like knowing that you're in the huddle or you go to practice? You know, I know our practice used to be spirit. It was always kind of an offense against the defense. What was it like uh, practicing and just playing with those guys day in and day out? Oh, man. Uh, you know, when I get that question, I always what pops into my mind is third and 17. Uh, third and 17 was no problem for us. I mean, we, we didn't have an issue, uh, you know, uh, going and trying to convert third and 17, third and 15. And that just says a lot about the confidence, not only that Coach Marks, the coordinator at that time, had in us, but, you know, the stuff that he imparted into us as a group as well. Because, um, you know, when you have a group like that, I mean, it, it's hard. I mean, you got to pick your poison. Uh, if you want to play that cover two shell or if you want to get a guy, extra guy in the box, uh, it, it's kind of the choice is yours, and, and we were obliged to give you what you wanted. And <laughs> but I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing that 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 people don't see with that group is the selflessness, because it, it, it's very similar to what the Golden State Warriors had at, at, at yeah. one point. They didn't care who made the shot. They didn't care who who caught the pass. Uh, who who got the run? Who number was called? They didn't care. Because the ultimate goal was to win a championship. And, and, Stuart, you know, man, once you start winning championships, you start winning division titles, conference titles, and winning the Super Bowl, other teams are going to want your players, and they're going to overpay to get them. So yes, they it, will. It, it, it's, in everyone, it's in everyone's best interest to, to have your eyes on that prize of winning a championship. And uh, ultimately, that's what we had as a group, man. We just wanted to win – multiple championships we wanted to play in multiple championships we wanted to rub it in the faces of the Saints, the falcons and the 49ers we, we wanted to because you know up until that point i had it rubbed in my face a whole lot until those guys showed up right so so isaac in your mind what 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 happened there kind of towards towards the end Mark, mike marks becomes head coach you obviously have success you went to the super bowl unfortunately um lost to uh that the 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 cheaters but what 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 in your mind because we all thought this team was going to be with you and Marshall and Tory and Kurt was was going to be a super bowl contender for for a decade and what do you what in your mind happened towards the end there well i i think it always starts at the head man when you when you look at uh, any organization, a Fortune 500 company, or just just the the, the, the leadership that's in a boys and girls club, um, if it's not stable, there's no stability there, and the focus isn't on winning, it's going to affect everything going downhill. And and that's 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 the same that happened, you know, with the Rams. We were in a point where we kind of reverted back to uh, the late, maybe the late 80s and most of the 90s. I mean, when I was drafted in 1994. You know, the, the talk around the locker room is that the Rams can draft great players and develop them and then have them go on a free, uh, on, on the market. And if another team uh, offers them a contract, maybe I match, maybe I don't. We weren't really interested in bringing guys back. I actually saw that with my own eyes happen uh, by being in the organization. And I think uh, what changed is that we made sure that we kept that nucleus of players and also added to that nucleus, which puts us in a mindset in a uh, of winning and winning championships. So that got disrupted, interrupted, and we kind of reverted back to what we were. And and, and I think we missed a huge moment. Um, you you mentioned the guys from uh, the Great Northeast and, and what happened in Super Bowl Thirty Six, but as a, as a team as a whole, man, I think we had an opportunity. And uh, sometimes I just look back at it, man, and I just say, well, you know, I clap my hands and, and, and try to go to the next play. But it, there was definitely an opportunity there where you not only could win one championship, but probably two or three more. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, Isaac, you, you make a great, great point, you know, great, great point. And, you know, for those of us, again, who have worn the colors, uh, I tell everyone to this day, had it not been the Rams that drafted me, I probably would have been playing baseball. Uh, but it was my team yeah. growing up and, you know, I'm in California and I'm at Fresno State and I'm like two hours, you know, south of my hometown. And 
you know, two hours north, uh, four hours uh, uh, south of my college, right? So being able to get drafted by them, play here in California, my mom, all that good stuff, uh, man, it was just really a dream come true. But, you know, over the years, it was, it seemed for me, uh, and again, I played seven years, and I would think, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn, but many people would have said, you know, Stu should have been one of our dudes. I mean, this dude was was a guy, uh, but I was gone in free agency too. And and it was funny. I saw uh, one of the, the, the top guys, you know, John Shaw, years later at uh, Eric Dickerson Golf Tournament, and he sat across, looked me right in my eye, and was like, yes, dude, we would have never gave you that type of money. And I'm thinking like, huh? Like, really? That wasn't even the top of the top. But he just point blank said, yeah, man, I was – that was a good call on your part. And I'm just like, wow, you know, but I had had yeah. some, you know, contract things because I'm like, guys, yeah, I was an eighth round pick, but I've, I've earned this and you guys need to pay up. But they are like, no, we're not paying. And so I say on one hand, I was fortunate to be able to see what free agency was like. You know, you have players that would come and say, hey, it's good for t- guy to see because you'll know if you had it good or if you know you had it better where you're going. Uh, but yeah, I would love to see, and you're absolutely right about leadership top down. Uh, everything goes there. And to your point, when you have clear leadership and consistency and guys aren't having to worry about, is my coach going to be here? Is my, my, my homeboy player going to be here? You know, cause I've always said players know who the players are and players know who the coaches are. Right. And when you see those things getting dismantled, and if it comes down to kind of a dollar and cents thing, you go like, well, wait a minute. I thought we said we were family. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, as the Rams have gotten back here out in California, that they're doing some things to, you know, bring up, bring us type guys, whether you high on the totem pole or just on the totem pole uh, and bring things Absolutely. back together. But, uh, you know, that was one of the envious things. And I'll pass it to one of you guys next. Uh, watching the 49ers in their time when I was with the Rams, when their run was, all we heard about was how well the organization was and how well they took care of their guys. And, uh, you know, I saw Mike Gerard a couple years ago, and he said, man, Eddie DeBartolo is still sending chips and sending guys, bringing whole families to Vegas. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, on his own dime. When you get there, they put a little money in your pocket. Go, okay, that's different. So, yeah, man, to your point, uh, They've done some good things, but I, I just think we can be a little more consistent in other things. Well, Mike, here's the thing, Mike. Um, you know, who, who's to say that Eddie DeBartolo was a football guy? You know, we know how important it is to be a football guy in that position, in that leadership position. If you're owner, it's even special. But if you're not that guy, you, you can learn to be a football guy. I think there are other models out there where guys can really learn, I'm talking owners right here, can learn to be football people, you know? And it's the small thing. Yes. I mean, showing up yes. at, a, at a hospital mm-hmm. when a guy gets injured or mm-hmm. yes. checking up on, on, on a guy. And just like you said, if, you, if you're saying we're family, well, there's certain things that, that families do. You know, you, you want loyalty is a two-way street. So um, when, when, when there's a guy that's, quote, unquote, on the, on the on last low on the totem pole, and you show up for that guy. That means a lot to the guys that are high on the on the total. Yeah, because yeah. I'm willing to I'm willing to offer you my service where you don't have to you know go out and try to solicit me to come in and do a commercial for you or anything like that. Oh, that's real good. And and it's funny you mentioned Jackie Slater. That guy lasted through a lot of guys. So again, he was my my all time favorites. You know, coming in as a rookie, watching this guy just go about his business, and you know, Jackie, dude, is funny. Uh, but I would just sit around him on the plane sometime and just hear stories. But, man, I got a chance to sit with him a number of times and, and see the difference from when uh, Mr. Rosenblum was the owner and then it got passed to, yeah. at that time, Georgia. And, you know, he talks about, and a lot of those veteran guys, young blood and those guys, they talk about the difference in just the ownership style. So, Absolutely. When you have something, yeah, you may not know X's and O's per se, but if you know people, that's what we are. We're people. We're not just a commodity running up and down the field. Oh, man, you guys are entertainment. 
No, man, come out here and do this work in this heat and see how much entertaining right. and fun that is. <laughs> so uh, yeah. to that point, yeah, if you, once you really understand that these are people with families, loved ones, they got cares and concerns. Yeah, I think the owners who have able to do that, they've been able to have some sustained uh, success in organizations. Indeed. Indeed. Well said. So, Isaac, you got some things going on now as well. I mean, you Hall of Famer, played many, many years in the league. You are someone who's been known for your, your ministry work. And now you've got a new endeavor. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, I'm currently hosting a podcast called Ramblings with my former college teammate, Marcus Doc Holiday. man. Uh, we just finished our last episode uh, today, as a matter of fact. It's going well. I think it's an opportunity for athletes to start, you know, giving their own commentary on certain situations. And uh, I, I feel like guys like myself, like, like uh, Doc Holiday and even Michael Stewart, we have uh, an experience that a lot of people are interested in. And um, they're all true because we lived them out or, or we saw them, saw them lived out. And uh, we had this opportunity to use the podcast and uh, really, really express feelings and a lot of truths that, uh, you know, being in, the, being in NFL or professional locker rooms provided us with. So... Where can people find it? Where, where can people find the podcast? Uh, when when does the show air? Where, just tell us all about where we can go see it or hear it. Oh, Believe.com. And we partnered with them and all other platforms that, that offer podcasts. Uh, we are there. We can be found. Uh, we, we do the shows on Wednesday, and I think they are released on Thursday evening. So it's not hard to find. Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-B dot com. And uh, just type us in, man, and, 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 and we're there. All right. Well, first things first here to end the show, we just want to say thank you for all the years you put in as a Ram. Thank you for um, being able to come on and talk with us about your career. Talk, Just talk. Man, there's so many different places we went today going from high school and college to, to Rams history to Memphis, everything. So, I want to thank you for just spending a lot of time with us, and also we got to put we got we got to put you out there. Your social media, where, where can we find you? Uh, I think my tw- my Twitter handle is uh, at Isaac Bruce eighty. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, I think I have a uh, IsaacBruceFoundation.org. You can see all my info and everything we're doing in the community. Uh, via that, and that also has an Instagram account, Isaac Bruce Foundation, uh, that you can find. A lot of great things that we're doing, man, and, and uh, impacting, making an impact in the lives of people that look like me and others. Thank you so much for taking the time, and hopefully we'll be talking to you again sometime in the future with more great stories of your career and getting on your podcast as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, Isaac. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. You guys be easy, man. Thanks, AB. Ivy, I appreciate you, man. All right, baby. All right. Yes, sir, man. Good job, Mike. All right. I love having him on. We've had him on a couple times, and he's always able to to shine a light on different things. And, uh, you know, when you guys look back at Isaac Brusto and his entire career, what stands out to you? Michael, go to you first. What stands out? Longevity longevity and high level of play you know yeah there's a couple times isaac was a little banged up but man being able to play i believe is what 14 15 16 years uh but absolutely being able to see him now get into the hall of fame well deserved overdue uh but longevity and just uh, the ability to to get deep take the top off the defense and just make plays yeah, for, from my from my perspective, just the fact that the guy was the ultimate class guy on and off the field, and you know he 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 was never all about me me me. Look at me, look at me. He was you know hand the ball back to the ref. Uh, he, he, you could tell when he scored a touchdown, he had been there before. It wasn't you know all about all about him, and it was only about the team for him. And and like. Uh, he said in the interview, uh, 
basically, you know, that was the key to, to winning with those teams where they had all those superstars, but they were so selfless. Um, and he was the ultimate team player. And for a guy who put up the stats, the numbers, the success that he had in the NFL, ultimately a Hall of Fame career, for him to be so selfless like that, for me, that that really stands out. And that makes him, for me, like, you know, w- one of my favorite players. And and I think, honestly, it probably hurt him. It, it probably hurt him, uh, you know, in the, in the Michael Irvin, Terrell Owens uh, era of, you know, you know, kind of self-promotion. Isaac was never about self-promotion. And it might have, it, it probably hurt him with endorsement opportunities. It, it probably hurt him. It could have hurt him in, in not being in the Hall of Fame sooner. Uh, so for me, it's, it's all about class with, with Isaac. Well, and, and that's what he did throughout his career. Class, let's be honest, flair. And a little, hum- a little humility, too. When Torre Holt's drafted, you, you could kind of read the tea leaves. Eventually, Torre Holt was going to be the guy, the number one receiver. Okay? They are 1A, 1B for a couple of years, but Holt's the younger guy. And in stride, Isaac took. Isaac was the guy who I think made Torrey's emergence possible. Because Isaac was still scary. And, you know, for those two to be like this double-headed dragon, you know, and this, man, that, that was something to watch. And, of course, you guys bring up the, what should have been. And, again, I'm not saying what could have been. I'm saying what should have been. Because that team was loaded top to bottom. It blows my mind that they did not win more than one Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, there you is know? a lot of dysfunction there, I think. Uh, ultimately, with the head coach, with with Martz in the front office, I think there's a lot of friction there. And um, you, you know, I mean, the, the I guess Martz wasn't the easiest guy to get along with, and and I and he had like uh, Isaac pointed out, there there was dysfunction at the at the top there as well. So I think that ultimately uh, sabotaged that that group towards the end. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Steve, because you know I was there. My, yeah, last season, I guess, 93, maybe even 92, uh, when Coach Martz just kind of came out and somewhat pretty much volunteered his year to just be be in the league and things like that. So to see him a number of years later, but you're talking about a guy who was just like one of the guys get the coffee, but then to see him, you know, uh, elevate to a head coach. Uh, I often wonder, you know, how much people can change, you know, obviously a little more pressure when you're a guy who has to answer and call the shots. But it's kind of odd to hear that he he was like a difficult guy. So I don't know if it was the pressure that gets to you or you feel like you have to be a certain way in that position. Uh, But that's interesting. And so. Well, I think I think it kind of goes to the to the point that divas are not uh, only just wide receivers; they could be head coaches as well, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, all that said, folks, it's time for us to get out of here. So, don't forget to follow us on that's right, Twitter at Talk Rams on Facebook. We have the Rams Talk Room is our that's our group and our Rams Talk page overall. Don't forget to find Mike on Twitter at one dude twenty three. Steve at Rams our home sixteen. He calls him Steve's. Was it Steve's great tweets? Was Steve's what Steve, tweets? Steve, Steve's quality tweets. There we go. Steve's quality tweets. And of course, you can find me at DC Apollo. We'll be back this weekend. We have a lot to talk about. We had a plan, and then Isaac came on the show, and he just was worth the the nearly full hour. So take it easy, and we'll be back on Sunday night. We're out. type of drama. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness.
Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.